0: Well, the historian and moralist, uh, Lord Acton, said in a letter to Bishop uh, Mandel Creighton in 1887, these words, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. Well, hardly a day goes by that we don't see this truth played out someplace in our world. And we see it today in our story from 1 Kings 21. Uh, Israel's King Ahab sees a vineyard near his palace in Jezreel that would make the perfect vegetable garden. He, He wants it. He wants it badly. And so he finds the owner, a man named Naboth, and he makes him a deal. He says, listen... I'll either give you a better vineyard someplace else or I will pay you the fair market price for this piece of property. Now that sounds fair, but Naboth says no. You see, it's his ancestral inheritance. Israel had a different concept of of land ownership than we have today. They saw the land as a gift from God and it was their inheritance. They were... The stewards, they were not the owners. And and this even included the king. And so you could not sell your land forever. And in Leviticus 25, it spells out how this was to work. Every 50 years, there was to be this year of jubilee, and all the land would return back to its original owner. And this would do a couple of things. First of all, it would prevent the accumulation of, of property into the hands of a few powerful elites. And it also functioned as sort of a social safety net that would ensure that people always had a way to support themselves. And matter what happened to them in between, you know, the, the land would come back to them and so they could feed themselves. And so Naboth was obligated not to sell his land. And Ahab knows this. But he's hoping that Naboth will capitulate. Ahab has rejected the worship of God. And now he is rejecting the laws of God. His personal preferences, his own desires, have now become his gods. And that happens. When you and I, when we reject the rule of God in our lives, what happens is our desires become distorted. And we want more sometimes at any cost we think that bigger is what bigger is better and as Lord Acton said the rule of self will almost always result in abuse human preferences become absolute our desires even our good desires become our God now some of our uh, preferences are inherent we prefer the temperature setting at 70, not 30, right? If it was 30 degrees in here right now, some of you would be complaining. We have, we have a, a preference of French fries over kale, right? Amen? Yeah, we prefer sleep over no sleep. But now we also have learned preferences. So we prefer natural diamonds over synthetic Uh, We prefer a $3,000 Gucci handbag over a $300 coach. Uh, We prefer a a French wine over a California wine. And and whether we have these or not can actually affect our happiness. And marketing people know this, and so they do a great deal of study to understand human preferences. Uh, Last fall, I bought a new car. The manufacturer, a couple of weeks ago, sent me this online survey. I was kind of curious. And so I clicked on the link. And the first part of it was entitled, Getting to Know You. And here were some of the questions they wanted me to answer. How important is it to you to indulge your desires? That's interesting. How important is it to you to pursue wealth? how important to you is social justice how important is it to you to protect the environment how important is it to you to control other people how important is it to you to obey authority those were just some of the questions and I'm scratching my head thinking why does a car company need to know the answers those things that's some pretty serious preferences and i know why they want to be able to market their products to me now for my wife coke a cola is not simply a preference it's an absolute and uh woe to the waiter or waitress that comes up to her and says, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have Coca-Cola. Is Pepsi okay? Because it's not okay. And she'll let them know. Listen to how Ahab responds to Naboth's refusal to sell. Verse 4. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. This is what happens when we don't get our own way. You ever seen a a child throw a temper tantrum? Throw themselves on the floor, begin to kick and scream. Well, Ahab is an adult and he is throwing a royal temper tantrum. And it's kind of sad. He goes to bed, he stops eating, he goes into a major depression. He doesn't get his own way and he's mad about it. Well, his wife, Queen Jezebel, she notices. Verse 5 says, his wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? And so he tells her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in his place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel's wife said to him, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Seems kind of contemptuous of her husband, doesn't she? And it seems pretty clear that she's the driving force in this country. Now remember, we learned a couple weeks ago that, that she's the daughter of a king from a neighboring country where they have absolute power. Her father is a king, and if her father wants something, he just takes it. You see, you take what you want. And Ahab listens to her. Because when self rules, instead of God ruling in our lives, we will welcome bad advice. You ever gotten bad advice? A few years ago, Trail Magazine, which is a magazine for mountain climbers, any any mountain climbers here today? I didn't think so. Um publish an article and the article was how how to safely descend Britain's highest peak called Ben Navis and they gave step-by-step advice on navigating the trail down the only problem was the instructions were wrong <laughs> and the mistake was discovered by Roger Wilde who's the mountain safety advisor for for Scotland. And he wrote to the magazine, he said, Anyone following your directions, a bearing of 281 degrees from anywhere close to the summit, will be taken directly over the north face. And I find it incredible that Trail has published advice, which is so obviously and dangerously wrong. So Trail Magazine admitted they had left out one bit of instruction in the article. But anybody following the article would have paid a high price for the missing information and would have taken them over the edge into Gardilu Gulley, a 1,000-foot drop. (laughs) That advice can kill you. Well, Ahab makes the mistake of listening to the advice of his wife, and it leads to the abuse of power. Verse 8, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. And in those letters, she wrote this. Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letter she had written to them. They took him outside the city, and they stoned him. Interesting, isn't that laws are designed to protect people from abuse? And yet Jezebel finds a way to use a law to against Naboth. And she will do whatever is necessary to get her own way. And I wonder, too, how she got those men in Nabah's city to go along. Uh, Were they afraid of offending the king and queen? Uh, Were they hoping that if they went along with this abuse of power, that maybe they get something out of it? That maybe they would receive a promotion? Whatever their motives, a life is destroyed. Uh, Kings, rulers, are to protect their powerless citizens and see that justice was done. Instead, this king lies. He murders And he steals. It's interesting that that the prophet Samuel, when he anointed the very first king of Israel, Saul, that he warned the nation that kings will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves. But this isn't something that just happens in the past. I was reading the other day that Zimbabwe is going through a regime change right now. It's been a very tumultuous time as Robert Mugabe has been deposed after 30 years um, of reign. And his, his wife, First Lady Grace Mugabe, took uh, some farms from uh, some farmers. She saw the land. She wanted it. She went to the farmer. She asked if, if they would give it to her. They said no. And so she used the police to burn down their homes, to destroy their crops, and to evict them from their own land. Sounds like a modern day Jezebel, doesn't she? Now maybe we see ourselves as Naboth. Or maybe we see ourselves as Elijah. And maybe it's a a deep value for us that we act righteously and that we speak truthfully in our everyday lives. Even if it's unpleasant. Even if it costs us something. You know, maybe we look at at this example and and we want to strive for faithfulness. We want to have courage uh, to speak truth in places where this relentless desire for more guides the decisions of others maybe we're the kind of people who stand for justice maybe we care uh, about the marginalized maybe we have compassion for immigrants and for those who are oppressed by unfair systems and structures that that keep the impoverished down that, that keep them poor but I think if we want to stand with Elijah we also need to see How sometimes we stand with the Jezebels and the Ahabs of this world. Because we live in a world where bigger is better and there's no such thing as too much. And sometimes we'll go for what we can get. But how far will we go? And will we cheat to get what we want? And what are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to sacrifice a time with our family so we can accumulate more? And you know, we, we claim we need to take care of our family's financial needs or, or we need to keep our jobs. Sometimes we just want what we want, don't we? And we don't care about the impact on other people. Sometimes we just want our stuff. Well, Ahab's sin has not gone unnoticed by God and he sends Elijah to hold the king accountable. Elijah finds him in Naboth's vineyard. In verse 20 it says this. Ahab says, oh, so you have found me, my enemy. And Elijah says, yes, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so Ahab, he's, he's not getting away with this. God sees, a judgment is pronounced. Elijah says, disaster will come. Your house will endure slaughter and carnage. And Jezebel, your wife, will be eaten by dogs. And so his desire for more will, will cost him everything. Now, we love it, don't we? When, when evil gets its justice, when, when justice is done, and, and we cry out uh, to God when injustice occurs and when wrongs are righted, we love it, don't we? When people like Grace Mugabe. And Ahab are deposed and they get their just reward. It feels to us like God is finally a God of justice. Things are are being done for good. But this is not the end of the story. And as a stunning surprise, something happens to Ahab. And he repents. Verse 27. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes He put on sackcloth and fasted. And he lay in sackcloth and and went around meekly. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed? Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? So because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. So he's going to get a reprieve. But to us, it sounds so unfair. This is the worst king in the history of this nation. It even angers us. How can God do this? How can God show mercy to this miserable sinner? Look at all the evil. Look at all the harm he has done. I mean, we're good church people. We would never do anything bad like this. It's not right, God. But Ahab humbles himself. And God sees it. And how often it is that pride is the very heart of our problem, the heart of our sin. Pride, in fact, is the mother of all sins. In Isaiah 14, it tells us that that pride caused Lucifer to rebel against God. That the devil used pride to tempt our first parents, Adam and Eve. He said, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. You see, pride keeps us from God. To be saved, we have to admit that we're sinners. We have to confess our sins and and repent of them. We must acknowledge that we can't save ourselves, that we are totally dependent upon God's free gift of grace. But pride will not allow us to do that. Pride says, I can do it on my own. I don't need grace. And we Americans, we like to think of ourselves not as as bad people, but as good people who just need a little bit of self-improvement. The Bible says otherwise. The Bible says that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. That only comes from the atoning blood of Christ. The great reformer Martin Luther said the only thing that resists this idea of grace, this idea of justification, is the pride of the human heart. Which is why humility is so important to our spiritual well being. Because it, we begin to realize that we're not the center of the universe. That not everything has to go our own way. That our preferences are just that. They're they're preferences. They're not our gods. They're not absolutes. And the good news in this story of of Ahab is that the worst people on the face of the earth can receive grace and mercy from God. That no one is beyond his love. No one. You see, it's by grace, folks, grace alone. God's incredible grace is revealed to us in this story. That even when we make a mess out of our lives, God will take us back. And I'm talking about unearned, undeserved, unmerited, unconditional love for us. Now, folks, that kind of love is hard to find. Human love is usually predicated on our desirability, isn't it? Let's just face the facts, you know? our looks, our wealth, our intelligence. If we behave, our parents will love us. If we work hard and we're loyal, our boss will love us. If we're generous and kind, our friends will love us. But have you ever yearned to be loved just for who you are? You know, I don't have to look good. I don't have to say the right things or dress the right way. I don't have to have money. I don't have to have power i don't have to have any of these things that that people want wouldn't it be great just to be loved for being me that even if someone knew everything about me knew me in my worst moments that they chose to love me anyhow wouldn't that be great now is there any human who loves us like that probably not but the good news is that god does in fact the bible says That very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, not many of us would die for someone else, would we? I mean, if I had to make out a list, the list of people I would die for would be pretty short. (laughs) How about you? Krista, my daughter, and I were out car shopping one day. We would read the classified section for used cars. It was always amazing. Some of them would say, like, no transmission. Hmm, going to kind of need that, aren't we? Some of them would say, great interior, which meant, oh, the exterior is rusting away. And I wonder, you know, do people actually buy these cars? So when I go car shopping, you know, I, I worry. Am I just buying somebody else's headache? Am I buying somebody else's lemon? We actually saw a car that actually had a lemon on it. And the dealer said, yeah, but, you know, we're going to sell this to you as is. Who wants a car as is, you know? It looked great. The price was incredible. But I thought, why do I want to buy a car as is? Now, the amazing thing is that God's grace is not only does He, does he love us, But he loves us as is. That God buys lemons. (laughs) And what's even more amazing, that God pays top price for his lemons. Now, nobody does that. Nobody pays top price for a car as is. Nobody buys a lemon and knowingly pays full book price. And yet that is precisely what God has done. And he pays full price. He knows us. He knows us inside and out. He knows the rotten things that we've done. He knows we have lemon written all over us. And yet he pays the highest price of all, the price of his son, Jesus, to die for us. And that's what grace is. Grace is a free gift that's received to us through faith. And it's grace that differentiates us from all other religions and all other religions. We have to earn God's favor by following this rule or this regulation. We have to climb up And try and find God. But Christianity is just the opposite. God comes down looking for us. And so Paul would write, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. Now those of us who grew up in church, we forget this. We forget it. We start thinking that being such wonderful people that God surely has to love us, that He will save us, that He'll reserve a room in heaven just for us. And the thing is, we preachers are to blame for that because we'll tell you out of one side of our mouth that it's all grace. You'll be saved by grace. And then out of the other side of our mouths, we tell you all the things that you have to do to be good Christians. Sometimes I'll do that in the same sermon, you know? It's no wonder you folks are confused. What is it? So we have this sound biblical doctrine of grace up here in our brain, but down here in our gut, we still believe it's by our works that it will get us there. But salvation based on grace is quite the opposite of a reward for good conduct. So God says to us today, I'm going to accomplish for you what you could never achieve for yourself, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, and life forever with me. And when we do that, it transforms us. Grace transforms us. And nothing else can do that but grace. I want to close by sharing a story with you, a conversation I had with a person. She had grown up in a Christian home. In fact, she had made a commitment to Jesus at the age of four. And yet in this Christian home, all she ever heard was, you don't measure up. You're not a good child. You're not a good Christian. You must do this and you must never do that. They never heard words of grace, of love, of approval, or acceptance. And she grew up hating the church, hating God, hating Christianity, and hating her parents. And she lived a life of alcohol abuse, a bad marriage, Divorce, and a feeling that God was always out to get her. And then one day, like Ahab, she discovered grace. And God's grace got a hold of her, began to get deep down inside of her heart, and she began to hear words like, I love you, I accept you, you belong to me. And the folks that transformed her life, she found reconciliation with her parents after 40 years of anger. And she found reconciliation with God and a recommitment. You see, that's the difference that grace can make in one person's life. God allows us to start over again. And we see in this story today, we see in Ahab's Life, the truth of God's word—that we have a loving and compassionate God who is for us, and who will offer us everything if we'll repent. Now, before I need to make one more observation, just quickly: the God's judgment on Ahab—it's postponed, but it's not canceled. In fact, we'll discover later on that Ahab will die tragically in battle. And I find this to be true in my own life, that not, not all the consequences of my past are magically wiped away. That sometimes we have to live with, with some of those things. In fact, in chapter 22, it seems that Ahab comes back to his old ways. That he allows his, his passion begin to, to cool as he begins to face the the ups and and downs of life. And so it reminds me that that I need to live into God's grace every day. I can never start thinking that it's me that's accomplished all this, that it's God who does it in me. I have to live into God's grace. I have to be careful not to go back to my old ways, that it's God's word and it's God's rule, not my personal preferences, not my made-up gods that matter the most. So maybe today you're looking for a change too. Simply allow God to to love you. In this very moment right now, just open up, would you? And let him love you like you've never been loved before. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this amazing story of a man who, um, a king who had done everything wrong, who went through his whole life thinking that, that bigger was better, that there could never be too much of anything, and God had led him to tragic consequences, and yet in that he found grace and, and mercy. Thank you. We pray for that grace and mercy in our own lives. God, remind us how much you love us. Let us hear, even right now, those words. I love you. You are mine. You belong to me. Amen.